Please be seated. Well, it's amazing how quickly we become accustomed to things and things become a, a tradition with us. I remember, I don't know how many years ago it was when we first started using the screen. Some of you didn't like it. Now you're out there having to hold that heavy songbook again and you're thinking, why did we ever not have that? So, you know, things change and uh, we move along and, and uh, some of these kids don't even know how to read a songbook, but uh, that, that, that's okay. Uh, last, yesterday, youth group, many of us went, uh, went to Dallas and we went ice skating, at least some of us did. I am proud to report that we came back with no broken bones, uh, no concussions, and you know, I'm not one, you know me, I'm not one to boast or brag. Humility is one of my greatest attributes. But I was the only one who didn't fall. I'll just mention that. All right. We have been studying for the last several weeks, actually we're almost to several months now, uh, the book of 1 Peter. And we've been looking at it kind of like Peter's travel guide uh, for strangers here in this world, as visitors in this world. And over and over and over again, we've seen Peter use that analogy. Uh, we sing about it, the idea that this world is not my home. Uh, we're, here we are, but straying pilgrims, we sing. And Peter brings that to life, that this is not our home, that we are strangers here. We are foreigners. And for those of us, those of you who have ever been to a foreign country, it doesn't take long for you to figure out that you stand out. When you are in a foreign country, you stand out. You are different. The people there of that country realize pretty quickly that you're a foreigner. I mentioned when I went to Cuba, I didn't even have to open my mouth and they knew I was a foreigner. I don't understand that. I don't get it. I imagine even though Canada, they kind of speak the same language, sort of. It wouldn't probably take us long. Some of you have been there. Probably doesn't take you long. You're up there. It doesn't take long for them to figure out that you're an American. You're from southern Canada. You know, you're not from there. Go to England. They speak the same language. It doesn't take but that long for them to figure out that you're the one with the weird accent. What? Everybody knows they're the ones with the weird accent. But anyway, we stand out. And Peter, the whole premise of this letter is that because we are foreigners here, because we are strangers here, we should stand out. We should be different from the world around us. Our lives should reflect our citizenship, which is in heaven. We have a hope, a faith, a love that is unique in this world. We speak, act, and live like people belonging to God. And that is going to seem strange to the world around us. And that brings us to our passage today, beginning in chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, Peter writes, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. 
Fear not, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be shamed, may be ashamed of their slander. So we're real familiar with that verse 15, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But I wanted to, as we go along here, look at some important thoughts for our lives. And the first one is, we do not fear what the world fears. One of the reasons that we are different from the world around us is because we don't fear the same thing that the world fears. And I was just kind of thinking about, you know, what is it that the world fears? What is it that, that, society, that our society fears? And as I look in our world, as I look in our society, I think one of the biggest fears that our world has is irrelevance. In other words, the fear of, and I don't, this really doesn't make sense, but the fear of what, what is the purpose of life? The fear of what, why am I here? The fear of I, I, I live my life and I do all these things, but, but what's the purpose in it? What is the end result of it? And I was thinking as I was thinking that about our study in Ecclesiastes. And isn't that kind of exactly what Solomon said? That without Christ, without God, apart from God, we are irrelevant. There is no purpose to life. There is no reason for being here. It's just all one cycle, going after the wind and, you know, and, and, and the sun comes up and the sun comes down, the moon comes up, the moon goes down. It's all, it's all kind of useless and irrelevant. And our world, I think, suffers from a fear of that. And so there's this big desire to do, to do great things that will somehow leave a legacy, that will somehow follow on after, after we're gone. And we know and we understand that in Christ, we have purpose. Because of God, there is a reason for our existence. We are not here just to take up air. We are here to do God's will. We are here to do good. We are here to reach others with the gospel of Christ. We are here to, 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 to be God's servants in this world. And so we don't fear being irrelevant. We don't fear having no purpose as the world does. Our world also fears the loss of physical things, whether it be wealth, whether it be health, whether it be careers or et cetera, and all these different things. And they fear the loss of these physical things. But Jesus reminds us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where rust and moth and thieves and all these things can come in and destroy and take them away. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know, because we are storing up treasures in heaven, because we are citizens of heaven, we don't have to worry about what we have or don't have here. We don't have to worry about what, you know, 
other folks have and we don't. We don't have to worry about losing our physical possessions because we know and we understand that our lives are not wrapped up in the physical things that we have, but rather in the spiritual blessings that God has given us. And I think also the world fears death because in their view, it is the end. It is the end. Paul addressed this kind of coming from a different angle, but he said, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all people most pitiful. Now he was talking to Christians who didn't believe or understand the resurrection, okay? But the same can be said of the world around us. If this is all it is, if there is no more, if there is nothing beyond this, if there is nothing better than this, then this is a pretty miserable life. It certainly can be at times. And our world fears that death because to them, it is the finality of life. But you see, he talked earlier in chapter one that we have a, a new hope. We have a different hope. We have a hope that goes beyond here. We have a hope that tells us that not only is this not it, this isn't even close to it. Even in, I want you to think about for just a moment. I want you to imagine the moment in your life when you were the absolute happiest. Maybe it's when you got married. Maybe it's the birth of a child. Maybe I don't know what it is in your life. But I want you to think about that moment in your life when you were just bursting with happiness that pales in comparison to what we have promised for us. The happiest we have here cannot compare to what God has promised us there. Death for us is our ticket home. Death is our ticket home. I know and I understand. You know, Paul said in Philippians that, that he was caught between a rock and a hard place. Basically is what he said. He said, on the one hand, I understand that God still has some things for me to do here. And I think God can still use me here. And I think that's what God, what God wants. It's for me to stay here. He says, but on the other hand, on the other hand, I am ready to go home and be in, with God, which is better by far. I understand that. I want to hang around a little while. I've got grandkids I'd like to watch grow up, spend time with, enjoy watching them. There, there's some things here that I think God still wants me to do. Some ways that God can still use me. But I'm okay to get my ticket home. If he wants to give me my ticket now, I'm ready. And I think... 
Am I right? More chronologically mature people? The more chronologically mature we get, the more we long and are ready to go home. That means old, in case you weren't figuring it out. (laughs) The older we get, the more we're anxious to get home, I think. Isn't that like it is when we're on a long trip? Ever been on a long trip? You, You go on a long trip, and then the trip is over, and it's time for the car to head home. I just want to get home. Ask my in laws, they hate traveling with me. They don't mind traveling with me to get somewhere. They don't like traveling with me when it's time to come home. Because we ain't stopping. We're getting home. I want to get home. And the older I get, the more I have that feeling about heaven. I'm ready to get home. Yeah, there's some sights to see out there. There's some things to stop along the way. And, and, but I'm ready to get home. We have that hope. The world doesn't. And that's why the world fears death. But then we move into that section, that verse especially that we love, where first of all, Peter says, set apart Christ. Now, those of you who have a King James Version, I think it's going to say, sanctify Christ. You see, that's the, that's the word. That word sanctify, that word holy that we talk about, that's that same word in a different, you know, form or tense. But the idea there is, is to set apart, to holify, to sanctify. And over and over again, that word is used. God uses that word to describe himself. Already here in 1 Peter, we've seen Peter quote the Old Testament where it says, be ye holy as I, God saying this, as I am holy. And over and over again, especially in the New Testament, it's a word that is used to describe what God does for us. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart. He takes us out from the world and dedicates us to his service. And over and over again, it's about what God does for us, what God does for us. Have you ever thought about the fact that we make God holy? Whoa, I know. I see you. I see you. I'm backing up. But that's exactly what this verse says. Sanctify. Set apart. Make holy Christ in your hearts. Now, we don't make God holy. Right? You, thought, you knew I wasn't going there, right? We don't make God holy. But we set God apart. We make Him holy to us. He's holy in and of Himself. But it's an active thing that we do. We make Him holy in our lives. We set Him apart. You remember in the Old Testament, we talked about that word being used to describe as Israel, especially as Israel uh, attacks Jericho. 
as they crossed the Jordan River and the walls fell down at Jericho, you remember what God told them. They, he said, when you attack Jericho, do not take the spoils of Jericho because they are my holy things. I think the NIV is going to say they are my devoted things. And so when God sanctifies us, When God makes us holy, He makes us His devoted things. And likewise, when we put God first, we make Him our devoted thing. We make Him the one thing that is set apart. We place Him above everything else in our lives. We sing that song, we place you on the highest place. We don't just place him on the highest place. We place him on the only place. We set apart Christ in our lives. It is an action that we willingly do. So there is a sense. There is a sense in which we make God holy. In in which we make Christ holy in our lives. Secondly, it mentions we don't just set apart Christ, but we set apart Christ as Lord. Just as God set apart us, sets us apart for a purpose, we set apart Christ as Lord. Now, we know what that word means. We can look at some synonyms. Set apart Christ as Lord, as ruler, as master, As king, you remember when Peter's preaching, the same Peter, by the way, preaching the very first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost, and it gets down to the invitation. Peter offered an invitation. He gets down to the invitation, and he says, let all Israel be assured of this, this this same Christ whom you crucified, the same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and and Christ, King and Savior. And I think a lot of times in our lives, we want half of that, but we don't want the other half. I want Jesus as my Savior, but I'm not really willing to make Him Lord of my life. I'm not really ready to make Him Master. I'm not really ready to make him king. You see, that goes against us. We don't like that very much, especially in our culture, in our country. It goes against our sense of independence and self-governing. We fought a whole war to separate ourselves from a king, right? We didn't want to be ruled by anybody. And I know that we can say, well, that's talking about our nation. But is that not also our spirit of individuals of that nation? Or forget the nation. How about this great state of Texas? Ah, well, you know, there's Americans and then there's Texans. You know what I mean? You know? Yeah, we know what I mean. And so the idea of of somebody or something else ruling over us, governing, it just doesn't sit well 
with us. But when we make Christ our Lord, when we make Jesus our King, it is and it has to be absolute rule. He has to be an absolute monarch. There's no in-between. We make him Lord over our speech. We make him Lord over our actions. We make him Lord over our possessions. We make him Lord over our families. We make him Lord over our recreation. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. Jesus didn't say, you know what? It's really hard to serve two masters. You're going to have to be really good at juggling in order to serve two masters. It's going to get really complicated to serve two masters. That's not what he said. He said you cannot serve two masters. And I think that the biggest master, the most powerful opponent that God struggles against is ourselves. Our own will. I can let God rule and reign over this, over that, and over this, and over that. But over my own wishes, over my own desires. You see, we think about England as being a a monarchy. But it has really been a long time since England was an absolute monarchy. Years before our Declaration of Independence, years before our Constitution, there was something called the Magna Carta in which the king had to basically relinquish a lot of his power. And so that's where we get Parliament from. That's where we get the Prime Minister from. And the Prime Minister really holds the power, as it were, as far as the government goes. And that's the problem with us. I say me. Maybe not you. I will let Christ be Lord. I will let Christ be King. As long as I can be Prime Minister. I can put him up there. And I can make it look like. And we can have all the pomp and the circumstance. And all the, you know, the, the, the robes, the crown. The, we can have all of that. And the queen can look like she's in charge and all of that. That's fine. We'll do that with Christ. I'll do that with Christ. You know, I'll give him all the glory. I'll do all of this. As long as I can really keep control. I'll let Christ be Lord of my life. As long as I can be prime minister of my life. And God says, no, it doesn't work that way. This is and has to be an absolute monarchy. Only when we totally give ourselves to him. Until we totally put every aspect of our lives under his control. Are we setting apart Christ as Lord? And he says, of course, set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. And like anything else, it begins in our hearts. Lord, over every aspect of our lives, at work, at home, school, leisure. That's why I remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy, what does he say first? Heart. Heart. Soul, mind, and strength. If he's the Lord of our hearts, 
it will be easy to make him Lord of everything else in our lives. Fifthly, he says, be prepared with an answer. If we are living lives that have set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts, I think Peter says there is an inevitable occurrence. People are going to ask questions. It's natural. You know, we're out and about, and we start to talk to somebody, and they got a weird accent. What's our natural response? Where are you from? Well, you know, that's our natural response. Well, I think what Peter is saying here is our lives ought to be so different. We ought to stand out so much that people's natural reaction are going to be, where are you from? Or what's your deal? What's, what's up with you? Why do you act differently? Why are you so kind? Why do you speak differently? Why do you forgive so easily? Why do you not hold grudges? Why do you not do all these things that everybody else in the world does? Why are you so joyful? Why are you so peaceful? Why are you so calm? And we should be prepared to have an answer ready. And I've always thought that it was intriguing that Peter did not say that we ought to be ready with some long theological dissertation on the second coming. Some long explanation of the dragon and the woman in Revelation. Be ready always to explain to every full extent God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not what he said. He says, be ready to give everybody that asks you a reason for the hope that you have. That's it. Why are you so joyful? Why are you so kind? Why are you different? Because of what God has done for me. Because of the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. I can't explain some of these other things, but I can explain the difference that he's made in my life. I can explain the hope that I have that this life is not it, that there's more to it than that. Now, if you need some other explanation about some other things, I know some folks who maybe can help you with that. But be ready to just give a reason for the hope that we have. He simply says, be ready. Why we live differently? It's a simple question. Because I have hope because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done for me. Because I belong to God. Because I have a higher citizenship. Now, some will not be interested at all. I want no part of that. But there are others out there in our world who are longing for the hope that we have. They see the 
irrelevance. They see the futility of life. and They want something better. They want a hope. And we should be able to share with them our hope. And lastly, he reminds us that we need to be an effective witness. He says, be ready always to give an answer for anyone asks a reason, a hope that was in you. But do this with gentleness and respect and with a clear conscience and with good behavior. Why? Because there are going to be those out there who are going to try to discredit us. There are those who are out there who, try, who will try and destroy us. There are those out there who will make all kinds of accusations against us. And for a whole bunch of different motives. But they will want to turn people against us. They will want to discredit us. They will want to do all those things against us. But our lives, he said, should be such that their accusations are simply ridiculous. We have a, a legal term, I think, in our society. I don't know that it's used very much. But, you know, we have a thing called a frivolous lawsuit, right? You know, that's where somebody brings a lawsuit against somebody and the judge just basically says, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of, case dismissed. Now, like I said, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but anyway... And what Peter is saying here is we ought to live our lives in such a way that when accusations are made against us, when people bring all these charges against us, if we were in a legal courtroom, the judge would say, are you kidding? That's the case you have to bring? That she's too kind? that she treats others as she would want to be treated, that he's a peacemaker, that he's a hard worker, that he is overly honest in his business dealings, overly conscientious in doing what is right, that's the charge that you have against this person? Case dismissed. Now, self-evaluation time we got to look at our lives and we got to ask ourselves what evidence might others bring against us or are we living the lives that God wants us to so that we can be an effective witness to the people around us so that even though they want to make accusations they don't have anything no substantiation, no basis to do that. Over and over again, Peter has been reminding us of the same thing. We win people over by our lives. Remember what Jesus said when he talked about the, you are the light of the world. Live your lives in such a way that people may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. We're going to draw people to Christ by how we live our lives. I'm thinking. I think this is true. We are going to draw people to Christ more by how we live 
We apologize for cutting off the end of this lesson. Unfortunately, there was a battery failure in Tim's cordless microphone. Thank you for listening.